Good morning, Church. Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through to 32. I'll just give you a minute to find that in your Bibles. Okay. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away any falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Well, in case you don't know me, my name's Rob, and I'm one of the elders here. Will you join me while I just pray briefly before we start? Lord, please help me to speak your word clearly and truthfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you about a young man I know. His name is Peter. He grew up in a Christian home in Sydney and he attended church and Sunday school. As he grew older, he started attending youth group. He was popular and he had a lot of Christian friends. He attended a Christian school and he professed faith in Christ. He got baptised. Peter strived to live in accordance with Christian values and he even had some accountable relationships with other young men where, they, where he asked them to challenge him to live a pure life. He seemed to be a keen Christian. In year 12, Peter grew friendly with some, some other young men at school that shared a similar hobby. These young men did not share his Christian faith and they actually ribbed him about it a lot, but they accepted him as their friend. 
Over a few years, Peter's time with his Christian friends dropped off and eventually any relationship with them ceased. His new friends gave him opportunity to experience more of the world, alcohol, drugs, girls. Peter no longer attended church and he didn't have any Christian friends. I had the opportunity to ask him one day, what's going on with your relationship with Jesus? His response was that he had rejected Jesus and church. Friends, as far as I can tell, Peter is not a Christian. He has no hope of salvation. He is facing an eternity in hell. And I, I know his father well, and I can tell you, his father prays every day that Peter will repent and turn back to Jesus. We'll come back to this young man later. Would you please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? We are going to be speaking on in chapter 4, but we'll just look at a couple of verses in chapter 1 first. Verse 1, right here at the start of the letter, who is Paul writing to? Notice he's writing to the saints or Christians in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was an important city in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And the main message in, of the letter to, to the Ephesians is summarized in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. And in summary, it says that the Lord is bringing Jews, non-Jews, and all of creation under the Lordship of Christ. There are six chapters in Ephesians, and the first three chapters focus on theology or teaching, and the last three chapters focus on applying that teaching. Well, today's passage is in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 17 to 32. And this is in the application section of Ephesians. And I'll be covering three main points. Before knowing Christ, turning to Christ, and living for Christ. Before knowing Christ, turning to Christ, and living for Christ. And the main idea in today's passage is live differently. That is, Christians are to show their new identity in Christ by living godly lives. So let's go to my first point, before knowing Christ. But first, some context. Remember, this is in the application bit. And at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul instructs the Ephesian Christians to walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling they've received. And he finishes the passage then talking about how Christians together form part of the body of Christ. Well, here in our passage today, in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul now uses a negative argument. You must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do. He's saying, don't be like those Gentiles. And Paul is referring to the Gentile non-Christians, and, and Gentiles are just non-Jews. However, in our context, this is referring to non-Christians. That is, people who have not yet put their trust in Jesus. People who are separated from the love of God. And this is what you and I were like before we came to know Jesus. We were facing the judgment of God when we died with the certainty of spending an eternity in hell. In other words, Paul is saying you may, must no longer live as the non-Christians do. Now, before knowing Christ, the Ephesian Christians would have lived pagan lives, worshipping 
idols such as the goddess Artemis. And John Stott in his book um, The Message of Ephesians tells us that the temple to Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the Greek goddess Artemis was worshipped and, and regarded as a fertility goddess. Their pagan worship would have involved promiscuity and other sorts of conver um, per perversions. Paul is warning them, now that they're Christians, not to slip back into their old lives. This warning is something for us to think about, isn't it? Have we slipped back into a lifestyle that belongs to the world? Remember the young man Peter I spoke about. Friends, please don't follow his example. The worldly lifestyle can be attractive initially, but it's a lie that leads to eternal death. Let's come back to our passage. Paul paints a picture of life without the Lord God, and this is a situation for non-Christians. Essentially, Paul describes a downward spiral of worsening evil. Look at verse 17. In the futility of their minds. If you're not a Christian, this might seem confronting, or maybe it just seems funny. But here is what the Bible says. For the non-Christian, their thinking is futile. They act like there is no God. They push thoughts of God out of their mind. Um, and can, they can argue why there's no God, while all the time ignoring the evidence around them. That was me before I knew Jesus. I didn't want to think about God. When I thought about God being real, I started to feel convicted. And so I pushed those thoughts out of my mind. I tried to live life pretending there was no God. I'm going to read a passage from Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. It'll probably come up on the screen in front of you. And it just speaks to this situation. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. Sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? Come back to chapter 4, verse 18 with me in Ephesians. And it says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. God has turned away from them. They cannot understand the gospel, and they are cut off from a relationship with God. And what's the cause of this? Well, in the second part of verse 18, it tells us, Ignorance due to their hardness of heart. They are morally blind. They don't see right and wrong the way God sees it. For example, the world says it's acceptable to lie on your tax return or take stationery from the office, even though you know it's against the law. What's the result? The continued downward path into evil. And verse 19 says, They've become callous, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Well, sensuality here means the same as promiscuity. What a dreadful description for those who do not know Christ. Having lost all sensitivity to the God of the universe, they've lost all self-control. I used to know a man who had bad diabetes and he had lost sensitivity in his feet. 
And one extremely hot sunny day, he walked in bare feet on a bitumen road. He didn't notice his feet were being burnt and he ended up in hospital because he'd lost sensitivity. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? A loss of sensitivity to the Lord God results in the world celebrating promiscuity and impurity. Friends, that was me once before I knew Jesus. And I guess most of you were the same. How does that impact you? Are you really a Christian now or are you just going through the motions? Sin will blind us to the truth. Now we come to my second point, turning to Christ. Paul creates a strong contrast, making a comparison between the earlier passage we just looked at and the next section in verses 20 to 24. Do you pick up the shift in thought here? Look at verse 20 with me. It reads, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Paul is pointing back to a time when the Ephesians first believed. And Paul groups together three statements. You learn Christ, you heard about him, and you were taught in him. Sounds like the image of a school, doesn't it? But this is Paul's description of their salvation when the Ephesian Christians first believed. Paul himself spent two years in Ephesus teaching the truth of Jesus, and many were converted. And you can find that uh, story in uh, Acts chapters 19 to 20. So he knew what the Ephesians were like before they came to Christ. Can you think back to when you first believed? Is your enthusiasm for Jesus the same now? Can you remember the joy of first knowing Christ and your excitement to share that with others? Is that joy a distant memory? When I first believed, I had lots of opportunities to share Christ and now it seems much harder. So now I pray for enthusiasm to share Christ and to have opportunities. We need to be concerned about people going to hell when we have the good news about Christ to share. The news that will see them saved from going to hell. Will you pray for enthusiasm and opportunities too? Paul describes conversion to Christ using the image of an old, the old self and the new self. A bit like an old coat and a new coat in some ways he uses it. And he uses the old self to refer to their former way of life described in verses 17 to 19. And he says the old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23 tells us that instead they were taught to be renewed in the spirit of their minds and to put on the new self. And verse 24 says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What image do you have of the new self? Well, the new self is the character of Jesus. The Lord God now sees those who turn to Christ as pure and holy. See verse 24 again, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is describing what happened when they became Christians. When they heard the truth of the gospel, they put their trust in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and they repented from their sin. And repentance means they turned from their old way of life and they turned to Jesus to obey him as Lord of their lives. They put on the new self. When I first believed, I was at work in 1982. I was 26, not that long ago. I'd been thinking about Christianity for some time. 
and I'd been asking questions of people I knew were Christians. I came to a point where I believed Jesus was God and he died on the cross for me, that my life was meaningless without him. I bowed my head and I prayed and no one else was there and I said something like, Dear God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive my sins and take control of my life. No skyrockets, no light bulbs, just a sense of relief. But friends, something momentous had taken place. I would learn later that the Bible says that there's rejoicing in heaven when a sinner believes. You can find that in Luke chapter 15 verse 7. I'd been moved from death to life. My home was now spiritually in heaven. What else happened when I believed? Well, the Holy Spirit came to live in me. I was now a new creation in Christ. The old had gone and the new had come. My thoughts and desires started to be reorientated towards God's way. I had the joy of knowing the Lord. And I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to treat people differently and to stop some of the behaviours I was engaged in. Now, I often failed, and I still sometimes fail, but I was now going in a new direction. Well, Paul's image of the old self and the new self also raises, uh, also applies to the ongoing life of a believer, of a believing Christian. Each day we must repent of our sin. We must put off, off the old self, and, uh, which is corrupt, and we must turn to Jesus in obedience, putting on the new self. While we are new creations in Christ, we still inhabit a sinful body and we still fail sometimes. But guided by the Holy Spirit, we must make decisions to live pure and holy lives. Yes, we make mistakes, but we push on, not giving up, repenting of our sin each day and turning to Jesus. Friends, what is your condition today? Are you turning to the Lord each day with an eagerness to serve him with joy in your hearts? Or is the old self dragging you down? Are you giving in to the old self and experiencing the regret and shame of habitual sin? If you say you've turned to Christ and you aren't aware of or troubled by your sin, then ask yourself this question. Do I really know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus today? Perhaps you made an intellectual agreement with the gospel without any real submission to the Lord. Maybe you were pushed into praying a prayer without any real understanding about what it meant. Perhaps you're like the young man Peter I spoke about earlier, having some characteristics of a Christian but over time losing interest, showing there was no real conversion. Is this you? Please make today the day when you turn to Christ for real. Now we come to my third point, living for Christ. And we'll focus on verses 25 to 32. And here Paul starts off with a therefore. And so we know he's teaching us something about what he's already said. Because the Ephesians had turned to Christ and in becoming Christians, they put off the old self or their former way of life and put on the new self, they must continue in this. They must go on putting on the new self every day. They are to live differently and so are we. 
Friends, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a garage makes you a car. We must put our faith in Jesus, repent and turn to uh, turn sorry. We must put our faith in Jesus, repent and submit to Jesus as Lord. We can't just carry on with our lives unchanged. Good deeds don't save us. We're only saved by faith in Christ. But once we're followers of Christ, a changed life, including good deeds, show that we're truly believers. Now, friends, from verse 25, Paul focuses on some behaviours of the old self that we must guard against. And we only have time to look at a couple. So I'll be asking a few challenging questions as I go. And I ask that you think about them carefully rather than respond immediately. Do you struggle with anger? Now, some of you are thinking, but the verse here in verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. So this means I can be angry, it's okay. However, I'm suggesting this type of anger is referring to anger on behalf of someone else. Anger at injustice to others. Anger when you learn of a child bullied at school. It's not talking about unleashing that anger on others. We can say we're angry without expressing that anger in angry tones, sharp words. Look at Jesus being angry with the Pharisees over their hardness of heart in Mark chapter 3. You can look that up later in verses 4 and 5. Our own sin is sometimes a reason for us to be angry with ourselves. As we seek to live for Jesus, we can sometimes fail and be rightfully angry with ourselves over our sinful behaviours. However, most anger is sinful and must be avoided. Are you someone whose family tiptoe around you because you may explode? Are you easily irritated by others? Do people avoid you? I've met people who look like they will explode at any moment, red in the face, constantly irritable, impatient. Friends, anger is deadly to relationships. And most often, it's those closest to us who experience our anger. Those habits and character traits that seem so cute in our spouse seem to now seem to irritate and annoy. Not you, Paula. Your traits are still very cute. Words can be said and exchanged in anger. Pressure situations can contribute to this happening repeatedly. Relationship difficulties are not just in marriages. This happens in church too. Whenever there's a group of people, relationships can struggle. For example, you get asked to join a team at church to support the ministry in some way, and you find as you work together that people on the team are getting impatient with each other and speaking rudely or in anger to one another. This is not the way it should be. Friends, join with me today, repent and turn to Jesus afresh. Let's seek to put off the old self and put on the new self, which is the character of Christ. There are two other instructions about anger. And look at the second part of verse 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So friends, we're all sinners and we fail at times. But let me encourage you to make this a rule in any of your relationships. Be reconciled before the end of the day. In marriage, make sure you're reconciled before you go to bed. And men, I encourage you to take the initiative here. Love your wives. Be quick to apologise for your anger. 
ensure you are reconciled to each other by forgiving each other. Let's look at verse 27 now. And give no opportunity for the devil. Now, friends, we know from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the devil will exploit our sin and provoke us to more sin. But we're responsible for our sin. We can't say the devil made me do it. Yet James tells us in chapter 4, verse 7, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now as Christians, new creations in Christ, we don't need to be worried about the devil. He's not hiding behind every door waiting to jump out. Yes, be aware that the devil is there to lie and provoke. But we must do what the Bible says. Resist him and he will flee from us. And we have to keep on resisting. And friends, be careful not to fall into superstition. A friend of mine used to put oil on his windows and doors to keep the devil out. That's not Christianity, that's superstition. And we've been saved from that. Let's move to a different issue now. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? And look at verse 30 with me. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So as a person, the Holy Spirit comes to us as, at our conversion. In fact, the Spirit comes opening our mind to understand the gospel so we can repent and turn to Jesus and be saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. And verse 30 says, We were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And that sealing is what happens when we believe. We are redeemed from our sin, bought at a price. John Stott says that the day of redemption here refers to the day when Jesus returns, when our redemption will be complete. Friends, the Holy Spirit is God, as are God the Father and God the Son, one God in three persons. Because Christians are in relationship with God when we sin, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is affected. He is grieved. Once when, when my son was about 18, he rang me late one night. Dad, don't freak out. That's when I started to freak out. Dad, I'm in the back of a paddy wagon on the way to the police station. Now I was really freaking out. Dad, I was caught drink driving. Was I disappointed and grieving over his actions? Yes. Did I stop loving him? No. Besides, I'd done worse things at his age and just not been caught. A father keeps loving their children. And like a father, the Holy Spirit continues to love Christians, but is grieved by our sin. While our legal standing before God is unchanged, we are still forgiven. And Romans 8.1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But our relationship with God is disrupted. Our fruitfulness in ministry will be damaged. Because John 15.4 tells us that if we don't abide in Christ, we will not produce fruit. So friends, the message here in Ephesians is to remind us there are real consequences of our sin. Are you carrying some sin that's weighing you down? You can be freed from it. You can experience the sweet joy of seeing the Lord deal with sin in your life. And the Lord is speaking to us today from his word. 
repent today, turn away from sin and turn to Christ. If you need some help in this area, please speak to myself or one of the pastors or elders. Don't ignore sin if you're aware of it. Friends, an ongoing refusal to submit to Jesus suggests you are like the young man Peter I spoke about at the start, likely facing an eternity in hell. Friends, make a decision today. Live differently. Live differently. Will you pray with me? Father, please forgive us for our sin. Please bring us to repentance and submission to you, the Lord of the universe. Help us understand more and more how long and wide and deep is your love for us as shown by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Drive us to treasure your word and uphold its truth, putting on the new self every day. In Jesus' name, amen.